Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Bobby Klink. He's the principal at Klink LLC, Intellectual Property Attorneys for Entrepreneurs and Innovators. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think obviously what you're doing um, kind of on the kind of legal side of things, um, for especially kind of focusing and, and kind of specializing in entrepreneurs and innovators is obviously very kind of useful to kind of the audience. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. I grew up in a town called McAllen, Texas, which is uh, five miles from the Mexican border, all the way down at the southern tip of Texas. So, oh, cool! Uh, that's where I was. Uh, yeah, that's where I was born and raised. And I, you know, went to college in uh, in Austin, Texas, University of Texas, and then uh, moved out. And now I've, I'm am in Washington D.C., where I've been on and off since uh, 2003. So now I think of Washington as my home. Okay. No, very cool. So kind of walk me through your career before you decided to kind of found your own company. Okay. So I, um, after graduating from law school, I had the opportunity to um, work for a, a federal court of appeals judge in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, which is a great opportunity to kind of get to see how judges think and operate. And so I did that for a year. Sure. Then after that, uh, I moved to Washington. That's when I came to D.C. in the first place and joined uh, a, a very big law firm. I don't know exactly, but probably one of the 10 biggest law firms in the country, if not you know, the world. Interesting. Uh, you know, I had a big corporate feel. Um, I was essentially just a, uh, an employee of a corporation at that point, uh, even though it was a law firm. Sure. Uh, so, so I did that and, and was working on just kind of hodgepodge what I would call a commercial disputes. So if one company was suing another company about money, I could have been involved in it. Just, you know, no, gotcha. no real kind of area of, of specialization. So I did that for a while. Um, and then from there, I transitioned to a, to a slightly, uh, well, a smaller firm, a firm of about a 50 or 60 lawyers here in DC, but that did very much the same kind of work. And was a very established firm. Um, it was uh, actually that was an interesting place. The, the attorney who really sold me on joining that firm and who was my mentor when I joined was none other than uh, now Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. But he was a a partner at that law firm at the time. So That's cool. you know, I got the chance. Yeah, I got the chance to work with him, and that was fantastic. And you got some good experience. But in those two roles, I you know I, I kind of chafed a little bit. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was not maybe the responsibility to do certain tasks or, you know, building certain skill sets. And I thought maybe that's what it was. Um, so after doing that, I think between the two firms, I was there five or six years. I made what would seem like a very radical shift. Um, but for lawyers at these bigger firms, it's not that radical. Okay. Uh, I become, became a federal prosecutor. I handled criminal cases, putting people away on behalf of the United States of America. Interesting. And 
the reasoning for that was that's a job that gives you the opportunity to get up and stand up in court on a regular basis uh, to, to try cases, to do things that you don't get to do at a lot of these bigger established firms. Okay, so I made that shift. I did that for three years, and then I knew I was going to come back to private practice, and I had to decide what to do then. And I, I had an offer to go back to the, the second firm I'd been at, and I, I thought about it. But I actually just went on to Google and I don't even remember what I searched for, but I was basically just looking for small, upstart, entrepreneurial type of firms in Washington, D.C. Okay. And I found this firm that had two lawyers. And looking at what they did, it was amazing. They were handling the kinds of cases that much bigger firms would normally handle. And so on a lark, I sent them an email, and then I started doing some kind of digging through my contacts. and discovered that someone I knew and had worked with had gone to law school with one of them. So kind of talked and got a, got a sense of, you know, Hey, are these good people? And, you know, heard good things. So I ended up joining them. They, they wanted to have me and I joined them and spent some time there. That's ironically where I first was introduced to intellectual property work. Interesting. Um, just by happenstance, they had a case. They didn't really know it. They didn't really know anything about patent law or intellectual property. But a case had fallen in their lap, and it was really starting up when I joined the firm. And so they kind of handed it to me and said, here, why don't you handle this? And so I ran with it and uh, fell in love. And um, that was, you know, it's, I don't know, seven years ago, I guess, or seven or eight years ago now. Sure. Um, and have been in love with intellectual property ever since. Um, ultimately, I, I started my own firm just when, you know, with those two guys, we it got to a point, my wife got pregnant, and we were trying to figure out how to make me a true partner in the firm, and we just couldn't come to numbers that we could all agree to. Okay. Um, and so I decided to go out, go on my own, and uh, you know, I've done that, and now I'm pretty much, you know, well, I am. Uh, I'm an intellectual property lawyer, that's what I spend all my time doing, and ironically, they now spend very little time doing that. So, you know, it's worked <laughs> out for the best. Sure. So. For people that don't maybe understand what exactly intellectual property is, do you maybe want to kind of give a, a good kind of layman's kind of introduction or kind of explanation about that? Yeah, yeah I'd love to. So I start by giving kind of a, a broad definition that you know many lawyers would cringe at because it's definitely not something that you would find in a dictionary. But sure, I like to think of intellectual property as anything that you can own – that you can't hold in your hand and that you can't, that isn't a piece of dirt. Okay. Basically. So it, it's anything that's kind of intangible. And there are, I, I think most people think of four big areas. And then I like to add kind of a fifth little area of intellectual property. So the first big area is patent law. Most people have heard about that. That has to do with inventions and you have to go through a long process of getting a patent from the United States or whatever country you're in. And, if you get it, it then gives you the exclusive right to make you sell or offer to sell that product or service. Um, it's the most known. It's also the area I think that, uh, quite honestly, many entrepreneurs spend way too much time thinking about because um, it, probably 95% or more of all patents never result in a single dime 
sure. of revenue for <laughs> for their their owners. So, you know, but it's a big area. You need to think about it. The next area is trademark and service mark is related, but that is any word, picture, or anything like that that designates the source of a good or service. And here, source means the company or person that provides it. So it's branding is what it is. So okay. I'll use Nike as an example. So the word Nike, it's a registered trademark for the name. The switch is a mark that is registered trademark. And then just do it is a slogan. Again, a registered trademark. So all of those, you see that as a consumer and you immediately know that that is associated with the company Nike. So those are all trademarks. The next area is copyright. I think most people have a general idea of what copyright is. You think of books, you think of movies, you think of songs, they're all protected by copyright law. Uh, here Here in the States, any creative work effectively can be, is protected by copyright. You get it automatically when you put it in fixed form. So if you're a musician and you know you write down the music to a to a song as soon as you write it down you get copyright protection in it if you record it the minute you record it you get copyright protection in it um, so uh, that's a, an area for entrepreneurs you know a lot of entrepreneurs might say oh well I don't make movies I don't you know make music but you probably do if you're online you probably have white papers or free resources you might have a blog or any of that stuff is falls in the realm of copyright and you get protection for it there interesting okay uh the last major area is trade secret law and um you know uh, basically a trade secret is anything that has commercial value that's not generally known and that you take reasonable steps to keep confidential so classic examples are recipes so the coca-cola formula and the Kentucky Fried Chicken Spice Recipe are what you would hear as kind of the classic examples of it. But it's a lot broader than that. Um, your customer list, your CRM database, all of that, if you protect it, is protected as a trade secret. If you have a business where you have a special sauce or a special way of doing something, that can be protected as a trade secret. I like to use the example of if you're an SEO consultant and you have a, a special way that other people don't know about how to, you know, get juice for a website, well, that could be protected as a trade secret as long as you keep it confidential and don't share it with people without at least requiring them to sign a confidentiality agreement. So that is an area that actually doesn't get nearly enough attention. It's kind of the opposite of patent. Too many people don't think about trade secrets. And it's in many ways can be the most valuable protection you get. And for folks out in California, especially where you can't have a non-compete agreement because a judge, you know, if you have an employee with, you know, judge is not going to enforce an agreement that you have that says they can't compete. But if you have an agreement that says they can't use any of the confidential information they learn, you can use that to stop them from at least using that against you. And um, there's a big case going on right now between, you know, I don't know how it's pronounced, but I think it's Waymo, the, the Google self-driving car company and Uber. There, there is a dispute involving an executive leaving one and allegedly taking a bunch of trade secrets with them to the other company. So that's the, the final big area. Um, then there's a smaller area that doesn't apply to most people, but it's the right to publicity. 
uh, everyone has the rights to their own publicity. So, so Kevin, for example, you can't use my name without me giving you permission to do so to, to promote your business. Sure. Um, but quite honestly, Bobby Klink is never going to say no to that because you know, why not? I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to it, but you know, it comes up and uh, there was a case with, uh, I think it was Dwayne Reed, the drugstore company. Someone took a, a, a picture of, I think it was Catherine Heigl, but it was a, an actress walking out with, her bag of, I don't know, groceries or whatever it was that she was getting at the drugstore and put it on social media. And then the company started trying to use that right. to promote their brand. And, and that's not allowed because, you know, they had not paid her to use her likeness. So those are the big areas of intellectual property and just a quick rundown for people. No, I, I think that's good, right? And I, I think just because I think a lot of people are maybe scared to kind of ask, right? Because and I would sometimes put myself in, in, in this boat is like the the legal kind of side of a business kind of scares me, right? And I feel like right. I know so little about it that, um, you know, that you can get in the weeds so quick. And so I thought, I think it makes a lot of sense to kind of give kind of an overview. So you guys kind of specialize in this intellectual property kind of for entrepreneurs. So what kind of services or kind of areas do you guys help kind of entrepreneurs and businesses in? Well, so, so the way I like to think of myself is as um, basically an IP strategist. I okay. help um, entrepreneurs come up with a plan um, to collect, protect, you know, collect and protect their intellectual property, but also make sure they're not stepping on anyone else's toes gotcha. and, and get a plan in place. Uh, quite honestly, with the execution, I'm going to outsource. That. I mean, for, for a lot of people, especially people on a shoestring budget, you know, if you want to get a trademark, you don't want to pay my rates for me to file and, and do that. Instead, you know, there are companies out there that'll do it for a hundred bucks plus the fee that the government's going to take. Gotcha. But my role is really to help you know, to help entrepreneurs understand what their options are and come up with a plan to protect things. Uh, earlier today, I had a consultation with someone. It's a company. They've got a software um, that they've been using within their business, but they want to start offering as a software as a service. So they were just calling me and saying, hey, what do we have to do to, to get that protected gotcha. and to make sure that someone can't steal it? And so that's the kind of thing I address with people. And, you know, often, you know, look, some people will call me with a very specific thing. Hey, I want to, you know, talk to you about patents. Okay. Most often, I get a call from someone that says, "Hey, I got this business situation going on. What can I do to protect it?" And my role is to help them do that. But then, ideally, I, they would then bring me in to also uh, just kind of put together an overall plan and help them, you know, come up with a strategy. And the way I like to think about it is, again, unless you're Apple or you know someone like that, you can't spend unlimited amount of money on this. Sure. So you're going to have to pick and choose where you're going to spend your resources. And so part of my role is making sure that you're going to spend your resources in the best possible way. Sure. No. So when should somebody or a team, a small team of people, actually reach out to somebody like yourself and kind of engage them? Because I've heard kind of mixed. Um, kind of thoughts on this because it's like for for example like I, I've kind of been on the design kind of creative side and you know I've 
you know, found developers in the past that I'm either friends with or online or something. And, you know, we've built maybe a little kind of app or game or little site or something. And we're, it's not really a business. It's kind of more of a hobby project in the evening. And, you know, maybe one day we'll turn it into something that we can start actually charging for. Or maybe we're going to charge out of the gate. But like, at what point should that kind of like hobby project kind of come to you and say, you know, Bobby, we, we need help and, and we need to kind of make sure that we kind of cover ourselves in case something happens. At, at what point is it, do you recommend people come and reach out to somebody like yourself? Well, look, I, I'm going to be honest. If you're not making any revenue and you don't have a plan to make revenue at some point mm-hmm. uh, in the near future, you're not going to want to hire me. I mean, okay. just because I'm going to be too expensive and, you know, I'm not someone that ho- a hobbyist is going to hire um, or someone doing just kind of a, a, a vanity project. But what I would say is that doesn't mean you shouldn't be thinking about it because the problem is, that, quite honestly, it can be hard to unscramble eggs if you kind of mess things up at the beginning. Sure. So that's why, you know, I, I offer, on, you know, on my website, for example, I offer lots of free resources and free information. I've got a book called the Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook. You can download it free at my website. Sure. It's about an 80-page book that'll, you know, just kind of give you a sense and get you thinking about these issues. So you can do it yourself if you're at that point. And that's kind of where, th- that's the entry point. I say, look, think about it from the beginning and let me give you some examples of how not thinking about it could cause a problem. Sure, so that's great. You mentioned you get a bunch of bunch of developers or you know people together working on it. Sure. So let's say you do that, um, and then one of them just leaves, right? And, and I don't know where he goes, but um, you, you're you're then not you know in contact with the person, or they're not in good terms. Well, here's my question: Did you get them to sign something transferring the rights to to you or to some company? Sure. If not you probably don't own it. You might, you might not, but they could cause some real problems for you. Yeah, or you own half and they own half half or something, right? Right, or, you know, and it's just, you can have all kinds of issues like that come up and, you know, trying to chase someone down six years from now is gonna be much harder. Whereas if you you just took the basic steps, and again, you know, if you'd read my book, you would have known, hey, I got it, we need to, everybody needs to sign something transferring this, and you would have that in place. Sure. As part of your plan. And so you would do those kinds of things right. Um, you know, similarly, here's another example. One of the big mistakes I see people make has to do with trademarks. Okay. And it's not in, you know, some people think that when I say that, I'm going to say because they didn't file and register a trademark. But that's not the mistake. The mistake is they spend a lot of time coming up with a perfect brand name for themselves, their product name or, or whatever. Sure. You know, they I don't know, brainstorm, spitball, you know, A B tested, do all of these things. And then when they come up with one that they think is good from a you know, just kind of a business perspective, they stop. And they don't take the time to see if someone else already has a trademark or is already using it. Right. And the problem is, look, if if you do that and let's talk about your hobby situation. I mean, when you're doing it on nights and weekends, you know, the trademark holder is not going to hear about you. Right. Um, but let's say you, you start to change it and you start to spend a lot of time and you spend, you know, eight, nine months of time and effort building this thing, building brand equity, you put money into it, you put all that. And then all of a sudden when you're an established brand, the trademark owner hears about it. And then they're going to send you a cease and desist letter. And you're most likely going to have to stop using that name and going to be kind of lose all of that brand equity you built over that time period. So again, 
this is where, you know, a couple hours, not even a couple hours, you could spend less than an hour doing the due diligence up front on your own without paying a dime and at least feel 85% sure that you're not going to have a problem on that in the future. Sure. And then, or and if you come up with something, you can, you can tweak your name, you know, change your name before you build the equity. So sure. you know, these are the things why you just need to think about these things at the very beginning. No, I think that's really good advice because to your point, like sometimes these hobby projects turn into real businesses. Sometimes you, you both decide like, well, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to build this full time. Or sometimes you basically go into something saying like, we need to raise some money and everybody starts from day one full time, right? So I, I think right, it right. makes a lot of sense. And obviously if you're starting day one full time and you're raising money or, or putting some money, you, you obviously want to get a lawyer, but it's that kind right. of, um, you know, kind of hobby project that if we try this out and if it's successful, you know, it, it's kind of a weird gray area that I've struggled with in the past and I've heard other kind of people that are listening to the show kind of have struggled with in the past because it's tricky, right? But, and so... Partly why I really wanted to have you on the show is because you have these kind of free resources and, and books that you're giving away for free and people can obviously buy them as well from, from Amazon and, and whatnot and, and whatnot. But you also have kind of a, an academy, an IP academy, where you're kind of having courses and, and actual resources that people can, you know, start learning and, and play with online for free. So. Do you maybe want to kind of dive a bit deeper into the other kind of free resources that you're you're offering online on your website? Yeah, well, so I, you, you mentioned an academy, and I have that. It has that just has um, IP basics. So it'll just kind of, you know, for someone, of course, look, someone who's listened to this show and listened to this, hopefully they have some general idea about what these different uh, areas of IP are. But, you know, there's a page for each one that's a lot longer, and provides a lot more information about, you know, patents and understanding patent process. And if you read that, I think you'll have a much better view of those things. You know, there's also a section about creating an IP plan and all that process. So that'll help you with that. I've got a blog on my website where I've got all kinds of information about these things, about mistakes you might be making, why you need to be thinking about these issues, etc. cetera. Um, I have a free email course about you know the five biggest mistakes that uh, entrepreneurs make online and what you need to be doing to avoid it. You can get that at my website. It's clinkllc.com forward slash mistakes, and that'll take you there, and you can you know sign up for that course. Um, I'm also developing a paid course, which you know is, is a bit much for someone who's a hobbyist. It's it's going to be a very in depth course with all kinds of. It'll have information you need on pretty much all the major areas that are going to affect online entrepreneurs, at least, um, and template documents that you can use for all your contracts and all of those types of things. It's going to be priced just under $2,000. But so if you're beyond kind of the hobbyist phase, but you know, not yet to the point where you want to hire a lawyer like me who charges four to $500 an hour, sure. but want to get this stuff, you know, that'll be launching. Yeah. I'm going to run some beta testers through it in September. Okay. And then, you know, it'll be launching as a kind of a paid course in October for folks to really start, um, you know, diving into that as, as an option, kind of as a single upsell. Sure. And that, you know, that, that course is kind of called Safeguard Your Online Genius is the name of the course. Sure. But, but I think that's great, right? Because you kind of have, 
a bunch of kind of free and paid resources for people at different stages in in kind of their their business or, or startup kind of career, right? And I, I think that that's really great for people. And then obviously they have kind of you and your firm as kind of a, the next level of like, you know, we need to have calls or, or get you kind of on like a retainer or however that works, right? Based on what whatever mm-hmm, their needs right. are. So I kind of, I love that about, about what you're kind of offering. And I, I want to dive a bit deeper into kind of the, the both the books that you, you've kind of written. You've kind of talked about them throughout the show, but do you maybe want to kind of talk about each one and kind of like what they offer and kind of what you cover in both? Because obviously there's some overlap, but they are quite different. Yeah, so, so the first book I wrote is called Patent Litigation Primer. And hopefully no one listening needs to needs to actually read that one because that's that's about the actual process of getting into a lawsuit and what's going to be involved in the lawsuit uh, involving a patent matter. Uh, you know, I wrote that because that for a long time was the bulk of my practice was handling those kinds of lawsuits, and I, I started writing it really just I didn't intend to write a book. I intended okay. to write a. Um, you know, maybe a bit more than a pamphlet, but I didn't know what I had in mind, but I was hoping to write something that I could give to clients or prospective clients just so they could process a bit um, more and and not be lost about, you know, the, the process of patent litigation. The problem is that patent lawsuits are, you know, they're complicated and there's, there's a lot of things to talk about and to cover. And so I kept writing and it kept growing and ultimately it turned into a 200 page book that is written, you know, with, with in mind for, you know, that an entrepreneur, someone in the business world could read it. And then also it's, it's actually, I think in many ways, most popular among lawyers who aren't in this space who want to understand it. So for a lawyer, maybe, you know, a business lawyer who wants to be able to talk to their clients about these issues or advise them or, um, people who are uh, young lawyers just starting out in you know this area, and they want to understand the process because, quite honestly, law school just doesn't teach us about this process and about what a lawsuit actually looks like. So, you know, that's where it's it's really ended up. Um, I wrote that with you know with without too much of a plan or thinking through it strategically. Um, and you know, it ended up being a very good book, I think, but, um, you know, hopefully something that most people don't need. Sure. The, the other book I wrote is like I mentioned, the entrepreneur's IP planning playbook. And that one I very much wrote with entrepreneurs in mind and with trying to say, you know, what is something that I can give them kind of the most valuable information that I can give them, uh, on this topic without overwhelming them, right? Because I didn't want to write a 700-page book that, you know, <laughs> you know, an entrepreneur person could say, I don't have time for this, and, and, you know, throw it away. So the idea was to give a very quick overview of the areas of, of intellectual property, it, it convince people that they need to be thinking about it, and then walk them through essentially the, the basic process of creating an IP plan, and it's one of these things where 
you know, businesses and entrepreneurs create all kinds of plans for the business. They create a business plan. They probably have a marketing plan. They might have a sales plan. They have all of these plans, but very few have an IP plan. Sure. And to me, I understand it, right? Because it seems like a legal issue and something like that. But, but here's something that most people don't realize. Um, by most estimates, Today, I mean, when you look out today, people estimate that for a typical U.S. company, 80% of their value is from their intellectual property. Interesting. And if you're a startup, if you're in the online space, et cetera, it's probably higher, right? Because you're not someone who has a big factory somewhere. You're not someone who has a bunch of equipment, probably. Maybe some, but most of what you have and what you offer is your brand, your know-how, and you know other related aspects of your intellectual property. For me, for my business, I mean, I, 90 to 95% of the value of my business is my intellectual property. There's no question about that. Sure. And so it's one of these things that given that, I think having a plan and a strategy is hugely important. So I wanted to create a resource that would let entrepreneurs understand the process of what they need to be doing and you know give them a guide to, to creating one of these plans for themselves and so that's what that book does it kind of walks you through the process you know there's there's uh, website links in there where you can kind of download some resources as well to get a little bit uh, there's some forms that you can get etc that that go with the book and will help you along the process sure so i'm, I'm curious obviously people can go to your website or go to Amazon and actually buy the thing. And both books are actually like under $10. And one of them, I think was like $3 or something. And then you're also giving like a copy away as a PDF version. What was their rationale behind like kind of basically giving it away, right? And, and Or making it so cheap that basically anybody could afford it, right? Kind of globally. Well, well what it comes down to is I never thought I was going to get rich selling books about intellectual property. Okay. Uh, if that was my business plan, uh, it was never going to work. I mean, it's just not the case. Um, so I do it because I've taken cues from the online entrepreneurs out there who have adopted this method of, hey, you provide the information to free to people for free, and a lot of people will take it, use that information, and get what they need out of it. Sure. But there will be one in 10 people who get the information and say, you know what, I'd rather just not do this myself. <laughs> I'd rather sure. hire someone to do it. And so, you know, look, if they read my book and then decide, well, yeah, this needs to be done and I need to hire somebody, well, you know, who do you think the first person they're going to call is going to be? It's going to be so, me. So I'll be honest. I mean, you know, I'm doing it purely, you know, as, as a, you know, capitalist who, who wants to, you know, ultimately make money. Sure. But at the same time, you know, I wanted to create resources that people actually could use to do it themselves if they can't afford me. Sure. I mean, my goal, and I'm still building out all the other resources, but my goal is that a year from today, I will have resources on my website that will basically allow people, not just in creating a plan, but in understanding all of these issues and even having template documents that they can use. So kind of at any price point, meaning someone who you know just wants to do it themselves 
you know, maybe buys a book at 20 bucks, you know, when I get a, another book out, that's a little bit more involved or these books for free or not next to free. You know, then maybe there's someone who wants to buy template forms from me for a little bit more, but still something you know, under a hundred bucks for most of these forms, sure. even for form packs, then kind of go up and, you know, I, I'm, I'll have some paid courses that are a little bit more expensive, but again, that are accessible. My, mm-hmm. my view is, you know, lawyers are, are really bad about trying to keep law away from people and keep it as this secret thing. And I don't think that's fair and I don't think it's right. Um, and so I'm kind of trying to democratize it and, you know, provide my service when people really need it. But in mo- most cases, you don't need me one on one. You need the information I have in my brain and kind of a, <laughs> a plan on how to implement it for yourself and you can do it. Sure, but so that's but, the thinking. But but I think that's actually like really good advice, and and I love people like yourself that are playing in an industry or or working in an industry that, and I don't mean this mean that like aren't really known for being kind of innovative in in the space, right? Whether it's using technology or kind of adopting some of these kind of freemium or free models where you kind of give away a bunch of free content in hopes that you know you'll convert a certain percentage. I, I love that, right? And I, and I think yeah. to your point a few minutes ago about kind of creating different things for, for different types of people that are free, nearly free, inexpensive, to kind of even, even a course for a couple thousand dollars when you're looking at it in the legal space is, is pretty insignificant, right? That's not a lot of money to spend on right. kind of what you're offering, right? But where I've had kind of other people or, or kind of i known other kind of people in the legal space that are like, well... I'm not giving anyone anything away for free, even like a, a, a quick advice on something. And you're like, well, then you're probably, you, you may or may not last in this industry or, you know, so I, I love that kind of forward thinking that you, you bring to this. Right. Well, it's, it's, as you mentioned, you know, that people, you know, I'm in an industry that's not exactly known for being uh, forward thinking. I, you know, I, I like to think about because my marketing model is completely different than pretty much any other, not any other lawyers, but, it's not a lawyer's marketing model, the sure. premium, but also look, I mean, lawyers aren't coming on your podcast, aren't, you know, doing a lot of things I'm doing. And I like to joke that for a long time, I, I marketed like a lawyer and, and to a lawyer marketing means, well, I'm going to write articles for journals and magazines that are read by other lawyers. I'm going to go to meetings with other lawyers. I'm going to participate in my bar association with other lawyers. <laughs> and I, you know, at some point I said, this is insane. These sure. aren't my clients. Why why would I do that? You know, I need to talk to my clients, not my competitors. But you're right. I mean, that's lawyers are not known for being innovative. There there are some in every space. I mean, there's sure. a guy down, I think he's in North Carolina, Lee Rosen. He he actually started with just like a family law um, law firm and kind of did the same kind of thing. Built a lot of resources to help educate people about divorce and all of these things and, and has kind of expanded out since then. But you know, I like to take the model from people outside the law. Sure. And, and try to be, be useful and be valuable for people. But I also think that's really good advice for people that are outside or in really any space. It's like it's great to network with kind of your own kind. But if you really want to kind of market, you need to market to where your customer base is. Right. And, and, and I love the fact that you're doing that. Right. And to your point, like it is kind of hard sometimes to kind of get lawyers on even my show and I've I've had a couple in the past that kind of play in different spaces but generally they're like not interested and you're like well you know but like 
people really need this stuff, right? Like it's super important. Right. So you know, I appreciate you doing it, but I'm kind of curious to get back into um, some of the other things that you kind of maybe potentially do that we've, we haven't really covered yet. We've covered a lot, but I, I kind of just want to, you know, maybe close the show with kind of mentioning anything else that you and your company kind of help with that people could reach out to you for. Yeah. So, so other than kind of the planning and strategizing, which is really, you know, that's, that's the first piece, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, um, and the story of my career has actually been moving earlier and earlier in the process so I can help avoid problems gotcha. you know, before they start. But the other part of, of, of what you know, we do and what I do is, is I, I represent people in lawsuits. I still, okay. it's going to happen. Um, you know, and my focus is obviously on intellectual property. Um, and it doesn't have to be a lawsuit. If, if, you know, I help people, if they get a, a nasty gram letter, right. you know, a cease and desist letter from someone or something along those lines, I help them work that out. And, and quite honestly, I'm <laughs> in some ways I'm, you know, people would say I'm, I'm not great at my job on this, uh, in the sense that I often tell people not to pay me a lot of money. So you know, <laughs> often the best advice I can give people is, you know, hey, if this isn't all that important to you as a business to be doing this anymore, why don't we work something out and just you know, nip it in the bud and, and be done with it so you don't have to pay a lot of money? Sure. Because candidly, you know, lawsuits are expensive. I mean, I'm just, just to give you a sense, you're you're in the six figures if you're in an intellectual property lawsuit. Got you. Just, un- you know, without question, it's going to be over $100,000. You know, my, my firm, we can do it under a million, but a lot of the big firms in a patent case, you're going to pay, um, you know, $5 million or more is what they're going to end up paying to these big law firms, you know, on one side or the other. So, you know, these are expensive problems. So, you know, what I try to do is help people figure it out and say, hey, if we can just get this to go away cheaply, let's get it done. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it takes some saber rattling and sometimes we do that. <laughs> um, so that's what I do. You know, and I, I represent people on both sides of those cases, plaintiffs and defendants. As plaintiffs, I, I will only do it if, if you know you're, you know, kind of doing good faith in the, in the patent space, especially there. There are a lot of uh, what are called non-practicing entities, or other people call them trolls. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I don't mind if, if you're not practicing it, but you know, we're we're going to be legitimate about it. We're going to be good faith, and we're not going to you know, make ridiculous claims to try to shake people down. I won't do that. Other people will. I just, I refuse to do it. It's, it's kind of against, I guess what, you know, what I was raised with just as a general matter. Sure. Um, but you know, if people have a legitimate claim, you know, I will represent them, you know, if they're reasonable and, and want to work with me, I'm happy to do that or to defend people if they've been accused. And either way, I'm, because I view it, I'm a business owner. I view this from a business perspective. I'm always looking for, Hey, what's the best result I can get for you? And sometimes that means, you know, telling people not to spend any money on it at all. You know, don't hire me. Gotcha. So I'm, you know, I'm one of those lawyers who will often tell people don't hire me. Doesn't make sense. So, um, but that's other than the planning, that's the other big part of my business. Um, and like I said, you know, soon I'll have the course, I'll have kind of the things that are, you know, the, the more, you know, I don't want to say automated, but, uh, you know, the more, um, kind of scalable products that I'm going to have before long. And like I said, I'm as part of this, there will be kind of form packs. So if people want to buy like confidentiality agreements and things like that, that they then customize themselves, you know, those should be, I'm going to have those probably available within, 
in two months, I'll have a bunch of packs of those for people um, just who want to get those particularized to the IP space. Sure. Well, Bobby, we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with where people can find you online and, and get all these kind of resources that you've talked about throughout the show. Okay. Yeah, so my website is clinkllc.com, and that's clink, K-L-I-N-C-K-L-L-C.com. So from the website itself, you can see a lot of things. You can you can book a 30-minute consultation with me. You can literally just buttons a bunch of places. You get to open up my calendar and pick a time, and we can set it up. Um, there's also the IP Academy, which has kind of the written resources and the books. Um, there's the blog there. The one thing that, again, I mentioned earlier, there's no navigation to it is the, the clink LLC.com forward slash mistakes. Um, you know, I'm on social media. I'm, I'm most active on Twitter. I'm at Bobby clink there. I uh, actually tweet um, somewhat, some about law, but a lot about um, business marketing and those types of things, platform building, a lot of things that I'm doing and that I think are actually interesting to other entrepreneurs, the things that I kind of struggle with that I think other entrepreneurs do as well. So that's what I do on Twitter and you know, I'm always happy to chat with people there or on my website. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Great. You too. It was my pleasure. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.